my name is Ali. I'm an alcoholic. Um, and uh, I just popped into this meeting uh, today because I felt like I needed one. And um, I celebrated. Celebrated isn't probably the right word. I um, I, I reached the landmark of 13 years on Sunday. I had my last drink um, on the 30th of um, April 2009. Um, and my first full day of sobriety was the 1st of May 2009, where my friend took me to my first meeting. She actually took me to an NA meeting. And I didn't really feel like I had a lot in common. Um, even though I used drugs, it was recreational to do uh, and, and was always um, brought about by by drinking. Um, I very rarely took drugs on their own. I would have to have, you know, to be to be drunk in order to take them, which towards the end of my drinking was very regularly. Um, and I start my I had my first drink, actually, I, I just remembered this recently, but I had my first drink when I was about seven or eight years old, when my parents had divorced and my mum had moved us all to Newcastle, which is about 400 miles away from London. I left my dad behind in London and um, and it was Christmas Eve and there's my twin sister and my brother who's 18 months older. We were probably being a pain in the ass, and she thought she wouldn't get any sleep on, on Christmas Eve. So she spiked us with um, vodka and tonic, <laughs> which didn't work because we still got up at four or five in the morning or wherever it was and started rolling, roller skating up and down the hallway, which is what you do when someone gives you roller skates. Um, anyway, so uh, I remember that it knocked me out. Um, the second time I had a drink was, uh, I think when I was about 13 or 14 years old, but, but I seem to remember that I, th I think I, um, I think I had a, an episode with a bottle of gin when I was a kid, but I can't verify that because my parents are no longer alive and I, I don't really remember it, but I do remember a vague story about that, but I won't retell it because I don't remember. Um, all I know is that the smell of gin always made me, made me feel sick. Um, so I never drank it. So um, aged about 13, my father died really suddenly. And um, I, at that point I became atheist. I also became, um, I also started to drink though not very heavily. Um, I got expelled from the school that I was sent, the boarding school that I was at. Um, it was really religious, they had, a service every fucking morning sorry every morning and twice on a Sunday and uh and I was very defiant after my father died um because this was in the 70s you didn't you didn't get any um didn't get any counseling or anything they just left you to get on with it and uh and so I had massive resentments towards the school to the people in it my mother I blamed her for everything and uh and I felt like my life was was over at that age so um, I got expelled from school just at the time when um, punk music was happening in London, uh, which, which saved me as well. Um, I was listening to the radio and I heard um, New Rose by the Damned and I was out of that school <laughs> within days. I was like, I've got to get out of here. I've got, I've got to get out of here. So I was going out to um, the pub in the local town where we were, which was just north of London. And I was hanging out with some bikers in the town and I got caught and that was it. So there we go. 
so uh, after that, I sort of like was was a bit of a wild child for the next 30 years. You know, I was just just really anti-establishment, anti-anything. I just hated being told what to do. Um, I started a career in music um, and that was quite, that was easy to be a party animal. That was easy to drink and take drugs because it was all part of the whole setup. And I had, as someone once said to me, I had the constitution of an ox. I could go out every night of the week. I could drink myself stupid. I could take loads of cocaine and I'd still be at my desk the following morning as if nothing had happened. My boss, meanwhile, would have left a couple of hours before me and would roll in two hours later looking all dishevelled. And I'd be like, where have you been? You know, so so I managed to be able to hold it all together um, for quite a while. You know, the cracks didn't begin to show for quite a few years. Um, I found myself in situations where I would lose a job. I would lose the place I was living. I would lose a relationship and it would all be all at once, you know, and, and I couldn't work out why, why this all kept happening. I didn't put it, I, didn't, I couldn't put my finger on it. It was always someone else. It was always outside, it was always outside forces. It was always like the guy's fault, or it was the landlord's fault, or they hated me at work or whatever. But I mean, you know, thinking about it, I was taking days off when I wasn't taking days off and I was hungover, I was grumpy. So I would do my job, but I wouldn't do it with a, you know, in a particularly friendly or, um, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll, I wasn't a very good person to be around, I don't think, um, as far as work was concerned, because I was, I was still angry. I think I was actually angry for most of my adult life, you know, the issues that I'd never dealt with. I would talk about my dad's death when I was really drunk, I'd get really maudlin, I'd get really upset. I would talk about it then I would never talk about it at any other time in fact it was something that I never really came to terms with until I came into recovery so anyway I had a really good friend um who we were punks together and she got clean and sober in her early 20s um I'd been at her wedding and we sort of like went our separate ways after that I kept saying to her you know come on, you can come out with me. You can just have a beer or two. She's like, no, I can't. I can't have anything. And because I was still sort of quite mental, she she sort of dropped me, dropped our friendship. And, and it was just years later when I was thinking, you know, I, I really think that I've got to do something about the alcohol because, you know, I'm coming up for 47, 48 years old. I've got no kids. I've got no job that I particularly like. I've got no money. You know, I didn't have any savings. I, had, I mean, I'd managed to keep a roof over my head because I'd managed to get a flat and keep that going. But, you know, I was deeply, deeply unhappy and deeply lost as well. I do, you know, there seemed to be no direction in my life at all. And the only thing that kept me going and that made me feel any better was alcohol, you know. But then that stopped working because what, what would happen is I would get violent. I would get violent and I would go into blackout and I would not remember what I'd done. Um, the night before I'd wake up with bruises I'd wake up with my front door open I'd wake up I'd just wake up not knowing what I'd done the night before and uh and it was beginning to scare me you know I was beginning to get quite frightened by the whole by the whole situation and I was opposite I lived opposite um Holloway prison which is a women's prison in London and I remember thinking okay the last thing I remember the other night was that I was violent and then I woke up covered in bruises I could kill somebody I could, I could, you know, I could harm somebody or I could harm myself 
in blackout. But I looked over at that prison and I thought, if I don't watch it, one of these days I'm going to end up in there. And uh, and so that was just sort of like a moment of clarity thinking, you know what, this really is not going to get any better. It's not going to get any better. And I could feel that, you know, it it was no longer a pleasure to, to go out and drink. And it was no longer, you know, it was no longer doing anything for me. So, um, so yeah, so I was looking at looking for my friend on, on Facebook, but because she'd married a Polish guy and I couldn't spell the surname, I couldn't find her. But she just popped up one day and said, is that you, you know, from Camden? And I'm like, yeah, it is. So we arranged to meet up and we went and had lunch together. And, uh, and I said to her, you know, you're still going to those meetings? And she said, yes. And it was, it was actually about two weeks later that I made that call and she took me to my, to my, um, to my first meeting. And I have never picked up a drink since because I sort of knew that it was game over. I knew that it was, that this is what I really needed to do. Did I come in willingly? No, I didn't. I saw, I saw the, I couldn't see any similarities really in very much at all. But I was desperate to, to just make things better, you know. And there was that sort of bit where, you know, I couldn't live without alcohol, but then I couldn't live with it. And, uh, you know, the first few months were just so painful. And I see that, I see that in newcomers. I was so angry. And I was like, you know, people would say to me, I'll go and pray. And I'd be like, fuck off. I'm not going to do that. You know, I'm not going to pray. You know, I may, I may do some meditation later, but I'm, but don't ask me to pray because that's not going to happen. So I found myself a sponsor who was quite sympathetic to the whole God thing, but was also very strict, very Glaswegian and did not take any shit from me. So she was just like, OK, you've got to do this. And I remember getting through the first few steps, just winging it, going through it, going, OK, then, you know, OK, I'll... um. I'll just go through it now. And if I don't understand it, I'll come back to it later. It will make some sense at some point. You know, I heard about people that were spending ages on step two and step three. I thought, just get them out of the way, get the, get the proper, get the proper steps done, which is like four and five. And, um, and it took, it took me about six months to work through my step four. Sorry, Liam, am I keeping you awake? Sorry, to me, <laughs> took me ages to get through my step four. And then I, um, uh, and then the step five was just a massive relief, you know. I I, I learned about so-called defects of character. I did realise that I was that I was jealous, that I was envious, that I was that I was a difficult person to live with, you know. And that, uh, but one thing my my sponsor did say to me after going through the step five, she was like, you know, this isn't a this isn't a stick to beat yourself with. Although it, at the time it really did feel like it was. Um, I really did feel like, oh my God, I'm a terrible person. I've done this to people and blah, 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 blah. And it, um, and it was only through starting to do the amends that uh, things sort of made sense because there was, a, there was a fair amount of forgiveness there. You know, there were some people that, that didn't forgive me for things I've done, but I can't do anything about that. You know, I'm trying, you know, the amends is, is, is not for me to feel better. It's to, you know, to make up for, for things that I've done in the past. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was really funny because to start with, I was like, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing number four. I'm not doing number nine. I'm not, I'm not going to do these steps. But um, the amazing thing about the order that they're in is that 
you're ready for it. You are ready for the next one. It prepares you for the next one. And, um, you know, one of the one of the best things to come out of the last couple of years are these secular meetings, these Zoom meetings, you know, because we've we've shared a lot of literature. We've shared the, the Jeffrey Munn book, you know, um, we've opened a new face to face meeting in London because all the face to face ones are just are just now on um, are just now on Zoom. And I really feel like there's some sort of movement happening, you know, now uh, within AA and that, uh, you know, Maybe we'll be. Maybe they're beginning to take us seriously. I don't know. I did. Re I did go to a convention quite recently. I went to an NA convention, and they stuck the secular meeting at ten o'clock on the Sunday morning, and then at the AA meeting, the AA convention in London, which was last weekend, which I couldn't go to because I was busy anyway. They stuck the secular meeting at eight forty-five on a Saturday night. So I'm like, okay, then. So you know, at least they're. They're giving us some some secular time, but they're you know we're not counted as important, I don't think, in the whole scheme of things. But does that really matter? I don't know. I, I find with with the fellowship, I've always taken what I've wanted, uh, what I've needed, and um and and left the rest of it, you know, and, and tried not to let it bother me. You know, if somebody wants to go off and and become a priest you know whatever you know good luck to you it's you know it's not it's not my style but the great thing about about our fellowship is our diversity you know everyone's different and you know we were we should be celebrating that and we do celebrate it here um so i don't really know what else what else to say i've i've had sort of like in in sobriety i've had a couple of changes of career i've gone back to college i've retrained um I sold my flat, I moved onto a boat. I've just found myself a lovely mooring at King's Cross, which I've got for a year, which means I've got electricity. <laughs> got electricity, got showers, got washing machines, everything that, that you know people take for granted, which is uh, you know, which is great. And I'm um, getting to know the new community here. They all seem to be lovely, you know. And um, and life's good at the moment. So uh yeah. So I think I will leave it there. Thank you.